but we're just speaking different languages. Mm. That's it. Mm. We 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 come from different planes of time in history, mm. but the tenets themselves are so interconnected and mm. so similar mm. that we just need to come together. And once we have a better understanding of each other and what those tenets are, we realize we're on the same page. I'm, I'm with it. <laughs> I'm with it. Do you know Rain Wilson? The, yeah, you, personally, yeah. yeah. Do you have his, can we get his mobile number? No, I wish. I wish I had a monitor. So I yeah, I know. It's a check. <laughs> Take a look quickly. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Sure. It's such a pleasure. I'm so fascinated about the Baha'i faith. And let us let me just start with this. If you had to contextualize Baha'i in world faith, in a relationship, say, to like Islam and Christianity, mm. how, would you, how would you see them situated in relation there? Hmm. So the Baha'i faith is... Uh, we consider it as the next in line of many different faiths of God. Mm -hmm. um, it's part of the uh, Abrahamic cycle. The founder of the Baha'i faith had lineage dating back to Zoroaster and that of, um, of Jesus and Abraham. Um, the Baha'is believe in something called progressive uh, revelation. So that all the books of God have come down as different chapters at a different point in time, when the social structures of that time were ready for social teachings, but also as universal laws. Hmm. And so Baha'is believe that in this day and age, we believe that um, the messenger of God for this day and age was someone named Baha'u'llah during the late 1800s, um, uh, early, early, mm -hmm. sorry, 1844. <laughs> to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> to be exact. Um, and so we don't differentiate ourselves from a lot of uh, world faiths. Mm -hmm. The faith of the Baha'is is, is the youngest independent world faith. Um, and he's brought teachings that are universal, just as Jesus brought, just as Muhammad brought, just as uh, Abraham brought, Buddha. Um, but there's also social structures and social teachings for the time that we live in now. Mm -hmm. A very modern world, very different and apparent from the, the world that they lived in, yeah. of course. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Baha'u'llah is seen as a messianic character in some sense, that he's, he's fulfilling the prophecies that predicted his coming? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the Baha'i faith, there's actually twin manifestations. Um, uh, there was a gentleman both in title as the Bab, which means the gate in Arabic, and Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of God. And the Bab came at a very low point in human history where some of the um, social structures were starting to tear at each other again, as such happens with most uh, civilizations. Mm -hmm. They reach a high point and then there's a low point again, mm -hmm. like a spring and winter, mm -hmm. like a fall. Mm -hmm. and, and so he came bearing a message that someone greater than him would arise to herald in a new era of human uh, maturity. And um, he himself proclaimed to be the fulfillment of a lot of prophecies um, relating back to Jesus, relating back to Moses, uh, Muhammad. Um, I myself am still learning a lot of those, and I don't have them to memory, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but the, the connection is, is very 
intertwined with the rest of history as well. Because at the, at the, at the start of this era, a lot of things were starting to click uh, within the technology of the world, the philosophies of the world, social standards of the world. Uh, for example, like gender equality was starting to like really pick up at that point in history. Mm. Um, we have someone in the faith as a historical figure named Tahire, who, incredible, she just took off her, her um, I forget what it's called. Her hijab. Her hijab yeah. in front of men. Mm. Because she agreed with the teachings of the time of, mm. of the Bab and said, if, we, if we're actually living up to the standard, we have to be the examples of it. Mm. We have to herald in the age physically mm. and rightly mm. at that time. I'm sure that was welcomed very well. Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You can guess what would happen at that time. And of course, a lot of people lost sight of that goal mm. and a lot of people said, yeah, that, that makes sense. We should, it starts now. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, how, this is something which I'm curious about. You mentioned that you're studying Baha'i, which makes sense. You're studying the faith. Not studying, but, but every person is, is doing their own sort of study and deepening. Not in just Baha'i, mm -hmm. but like uh, in most world religions. Mm -hmm. I myself have gone through studying the Quran and the Bible and, uh, and Sufi poets, uh, poets as well. Um, so I think it's a continuous process of learning. Mm. That every single human being is on a process of learning, on a, on a path of learning. So I don't think it ever really stops. But. That's fascinating. Is that is that something common within the Baha'i community that you'll be studying the literature of other traditions? Yeah, I think it's just um, trying to acquaint themselves with how the Baha'i legacy, if I can say, um, fits into the puzzle. Not that it's replacing anything, mm -hmm. but that it's in, it's adding on because none none of the past religions actually. The prophets themselves never came and said, you know, we're erasing the past one, be gone. But they said, okay, now Muhammad talked about Jesus. He said, Mother Mary and all this, all this history. And, uh, and then brought new teachings, a brotherhood mm. for their time. Mm. The same thing with Baha'u'llah. He, um, he lived in an Arabic state. He followed customs and traditions of the time. And uh, he urged people to followers to do their own deepening. Hmm. He didn't say, I'm here and you're now cleansed of all your sins. At the time when people were looking for the next manifestation of God, they were looking for the Bab, the Messiah to come, mm -hmm. the 12th Imam, as mm -hmm. I was foretold. A lot of people thought some righteous people, if they claimed to be such, they would just follow them. And several of these, several of these believers said, that's preposterous. I'm definitely not that person. I am but a drop in an ocean. Yeah. And so they encouraged others to in, enhance their um, fervor in deepening themselves in prayer and devotions mm. and then look for themselves for the next one to come. Mm. And some of them found them. And in high history, they're regarded as uh, 18 letters of the living. Um, and a lot of people just were forgotten in history. They just never appeared. These did these eighteen. These were like the eighteen original students, eighteen apostles, in some sense. In a way, in a sense, yeah. Were they contempt? Were they live? They lived contemporaneous to one another. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 
I'm in talking about coming to the faith and discovering behind this self process of self discovery. Sure. How how did you personally, if you if you'd like to share personally, how did you come to be a, a Baha'i? A Baha'i, yeah. So I'm actually uh, a second generation Baha'i. Mm -hmm. My parents actually uh, discovered the faith, and I was brought up uh, going to children's classes, uh, going to devotionals in children's classes, like any religious class, you would probably just learn about the history, mm -hmm. sure. read some quotes and deepen on an, an understanding of that. What does it mean to have virtues? What is an up and uh, a right and up conduct, you know, chastity, certain concepts like that, and you deepen yourself. Um, and I guess every youth, even, even my friends, I've seen them fall in and out of the faith, but that I think is based on their own merit of their own deepening themselves mm. of how much effort that they do uh, put into to actually learning about their own religion uh, some took ownership of that um, and how much their parents were involved mm. because ultimately uh, the point of marriage is to bring up a child who is good and kindly and a radiant heart yeah. that serves humanity to its best potential right well said yeah and um so yeah, yeah. For myself, I made a connection around the age of 15. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe that uh, the age of 15, the Baha'i faith, is considered an age of maturity for the soul, for the, the child themselves. They can usually make up their own decisions, and rightly so. At the junior youth age, you're, you're starting to come up with your ideas of um, identity, yeah. and you're very susceptible to outward influences as well. Mm -hmm. So that can be a good thing and a negative thing in, in contrast, right? Yeah. Um, so in the Baha'i Faith, we also have programs like the Youth Empowerment Program, which allows not just adults, but other youth to um, accompany children and just be there to be their best friend, basically. And just if you have questions, if you want to talk about school or anything like that, and then just kind of keep the mindset not on just play, play, play and have fun, but having enriched conversations, mm. right? So uplifting the sense of what does it mean to be a social action player in the world? Because mm. eventually you'll grow up and you'll be a part of society, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So in that sense, I um, took ownership of my faith. Um, I'm a storyteller at heart, being a f going to school for filmmaking and all nice. that. So I just connected with the history and I connected with the storytelling aspect the way that it was intertwined with the rest of the religions of the world. It just made sense to me. Did you grow up within a Baha'i community or, or was your family like, just like isolated amongst? Definitely in a Baha'i community. There's yes. Baha'i communities actually all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, in Austin, Texas is, is a lovely, lovely uh, Baha'i community. Um, still quite young, but when I was a child mm -hmm. uh, and the Baha'i community was still learning um, but there was a lot more people then when I was younger than it is now. Maybe it's because a lot of people moved out of the state or something like that, but yeah. So you had, you had like a, like a network or a social support. Yeah, I yeah, think. exactly. You, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, sure. but how did you go from where you were in Austin, Texas to being here in Haifa, which is what I understand to be the spiritual headquarters of Baha'i International? Sure, sure. 
wonder how much I can say about that. Yeah, feel free, I mean, free to. Most of this kind of stuff you probably find online as well. So I, I can I'm curious share. in yeah okay yeah, um, I, so at a, as a certain age, youth children, um, they feel like they want to get back to the community, and so it's become sort of a cultural thing in the Baha'i faith, not a based on any sort of writings or any like obedience or anything like that to give back to the community in some sort of, of some sort of way. And we call it just giving a year service. It can be shorter, it can be longer. Um, some people just do it in the backyard if they, if they want to, you know. Um, but it's the atmosphere that you take the time during this year or during this time of service to reflect, to meditate, to be, to try and find a sense of personal, internal reflection mm. as you try and find your place in the world, yeah. right? You're distancing yourself from the day-to-day -day jobs and the day-to-day -day craziness of the world, and you're trying to find purpose in life. Yeah. Um, a lot of people will come to the Baha'i World Center here in, in Israel um, because, indeed, this is the heart of, uh, of the Baha'i faith. It pumps blood, just like pilgrims come in Mecca and Medina yeah. and go back to the world. Same thing happens here. Pilgrims come and lead. It's a beautiful and analogy. People, yeah, and people here just are here to serve mm. and here to serve the the pilgrims that come. Mm. So. And there's there's a community of volunteers living here surrounding the Baha'i Center. Yeah, yeah. There's residents uh, from around the world, um, a lot of Africans, a lot of Asians, a lot of Americans. Um, we met today, we met French and German and German, French, seashells, absolutely. Like really yeah, seashells. I didn't even know where seashells was <laughs> until recently. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful. The Do diversity is, is enriching, but it's also you get a sense of interconnectivity, especially at this point, the Baha'i faith is still very young. And the sense that you might know another Baha'i around the world, mm. something very rare yeah. in the future might not be like that. It might be so many perhaps that it'll feel very strange i think perhaps interesting interesting is there is there um, is there a fraternity and community here amongst the volunteers that are living in israel fraternity is, is there like a sense of of like camaraderie yeah, yeah exactly. i mean in any community i think that happens yeah and i think the the spirit of learning the spirit of fellowship um is definitely an aspect of here especially with the sense that you wake up you go you serve it sort of feels like a day-to-day -day job, mm -hmm. but the you are reminding yourself that this is the Holy Land. Yeah. This is history was made here. Mm -hmm. The same people that you read as a kid in stories walked on this on this place, and they talked to people. They talked to officials, government officials. Uh, letters were written to kings and queens around the world during the time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of it's crazy when you think about it, you know. But so you have this really like intense spiritual year for introspection for growth like the sabbatical away from the crazy world sure very similar sure is that is that sure i'm, I'm also curious about something else i grew up in a community i was also like in, in kind of a religious my parents were sent as religious missionaries in some sense oh. by an international young religious jewish denomination okay um and the sense of being a an individual within a community but in a in, in a larger society that was very foreign to me it had, had a very strong sense of purpose and mission being there, being something unique and different and special, mm. being there for a purpose. You're one of maybe 700, 600 probably individuals sure. in a country of 13 million. That, is, that, is that an 
isolating experience? Is that an empowering experience? Is that probably a little bit of both, honestly. <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit of both. I think a lot of parents and families abroad and other Baha'is around the world are probably super proud of the people and friends that come to serve here. Yeah. And we're proud to do so as well. Um, but yeah, it can be sort of that daunting, isolated feeling. Not just that you come to an alienated culture, you you don't know the language, yeah, you don't yeah. know some of the customs. Yeah. It's very noisy at nighttime, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, even knowing that you're sort of a religious minority in, in this state, um, it can be daunting at times, mm. sure. sure. When you're studying the Baha'i faith, Baha'i tradition, uh, what does that typically look like for you? What, what kind of resources do you have, mentorship? How does, how does one within the tradition study it? Sure. There's, um, during, during my lifetime, there's been um, a consolidation of, um, if I can say, teaching material, of uh, reflection material that's been ger germinated by the Baha'i community itself um, and been through a lot of re-edits and, and reiterations and just kind of making it presentable and, and affordable and trying to germinate and uh, generate the conversations around such thematic topics as spirituality, life and death, um, prayer and things like that. Topics that you wouldn't have in normal day life with people at work. Um, but in the sense that it's not just like there's only one answer and that's the only mm. answer, right? It's more of a generating conversation, mm. right? So though the program itself might be sort of a reading comprehension where you look at quotes and you read writings and you read questions and write answers, um, there's a study called the Ruhi Institute. And um, the uh, the amount of themes that they cover is incredible. And the, the, the vast collection of um, volumes of, of books that are being presented now are Really amazing. I think thirteen at least right now. Mm. Um, the fourth one being the history of the faith. Yeah. Uh, to just read uh, in prose and very short prose of like what happened during the life of Baha'u'llah and the Bab, what happened in the country, and then to just if you wanted to understand that, you know, just a little reading, writing comprehension, basically. That's very cool. Yeah, I'm getting a sense that a lot of the study and a lot of the matriculation and growth is very self self like self-directed mm. and uh, and there's a real sense of free inquiry as you've mentioned mm. where it seems like they're you're not really forced to believe a certain way mm. but it's really up to the individual to explore and to think and to find and of to course. is that yeah. is that true I've, absolutely um there's a lot of material from the faith that is still untranslated mm. and is still in its original text in arabic um so a lot of english speakers of course they can only study what they have available. And the Baha'i community, spanning around the world, of course, in different cultures, has put focus on such thematic uh, means, such as marriage, such as life and death, to write their understanding through review of what does a Baha'i perspective look like in these kind of forms. Um, this reaches all the way to, the, to some of the social structures that we have today, that of like commerce, philanthropy, uh, medicine, you know, we believe that maybe, and I think I think one of the figures of the faith mentioned that in the future, most of humanity probably will move to a vegetarian diet. Mm. It's sustainable. Mm. 
and um, we're starting to see an awakening within the people themselves, mm. the humanity itself. Um, I'm from Texas, so I love meat. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I love barbecue. <laughs> Here's, I have a sneaky question. Yeah. When, when I'm reading about Baha'i and I'm reading about the faith, so much of it seems like, like the obvious good thing that, that we should be doing, like the, the, the unity of, of like humanity, like the equality of the agendas, yeah. like the world peace, like the, sure. the you know, an ab abolition of the excesses of wealth and poverty. Like they're all like num like really like numbers for people to sure. say in, in a positive way. Right. Would, if I asked you, what are the, be what are the beliefs in Baha'i that are like the counterintuitive ones? When you tell a modern person, they're like, oh, that sounds like something which I don't know if I would like automatically get behind. What's, what are some of the harder <laughs> things to sell? Uh, Not that you're trying to sell it, of Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we really want to get into any of those. <laughs> not, not in this case. Um, maybe not in this interview. Okay, sure. Yeah. Sure. Tell me, tell me this. I'm, I'm most fascinated by mysticism sure. and the interplay between philosophy and mysticism. Okay. Um, and I was having a chat with some of the girls on the campus about mysticism in Baha'i. Mm. And... I'm gonna. I want to propose. I want to pose the same question to you. What is? Do you think there's an element of mysticism in the Baha'i faith? And if so, what is it? Ah, uh, uh, in the same sense that words have power and have influence, like like world reverberating power. In that sense, like mysticism of the spirit of. So mysticism is a, is a tricky word. Yeah, I know. Um, and and there's definitely that's definitely one. But let, maybe just to go some from from like a world's religion perspective, let's say in Islam you have Sufis right. that are like this sort of intensification Poor of religion. Poetic. There's a poetic sense. Yeah. There's there's a, they're filled with love and they're drunk on God. There's a sense right. of intimacy and union with the divine right. oneness. Is there? Do you, do you find a sense of that in, in Judaism? Let's say you have the Kabbalistic tradition, which is like mm. people will meditate on you know, the metaphysical structure of reality to try right, to get close to God. Right. Amongst the Christians, you have, you know, Meister Eckhart, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila. Uh -huh. Is there, do you think there's an equivalent sort of mystical, either spirit like pervading Baha'i as a whole or within streams within Baha'i? Yeah, I think entirety actually of the Baha'i faith is enwrapped in this sort of mysticism. Um, Baha'i faith actually has no um, denominations. So it's actually been kept together because of the only faith that had a will and testament after the passing of the founding figure. But aside from the structure of the faith, yeah, there's a lot to be say on the pervading power of coming together in a sense of reflection and meditation. And of course, through effort and through work, seeing that as confirmations within the work that you put in. Not to say that um, coincidences happen and they can be fleeting, of course, and some people might turn, take them out to be uh, a meaning or a, a sign from God. Uh, I myself, am, you know, for sure, seen some, uh, at least put connections with, with mm -hmm. things that are happening around the world, right? Um, but yes, the the nature of the, of the of the texts of the Baha'i are sort of poetic in, in their own right, really. Even the translations into English are very poetic in, in their own sense. Um, and they always talk uh, with analogies, reflecting and showing patterns related to 
like I said, the human body, the heart, the world center. There's an interconnectedness mm -hmm. between the way we see nature and patterns in the universe and that of how humans can sort of relate to themselves and relate to society and interact with each other, right? Um, uh, an analogy, I guess, would be like to understand a manifestation of God or prophet is to look into a mirror, a stainless mirror that has no blemishes, no dirt, and to see the reflection of the sun. Mm. And so to know God is to know God through a reflection and that the only one that can truly understand God is one that has direct communication with them. Mm. That being a prophet mm. or a manifestation of God. Mm. That, and that, that process of getting closer to God, which, which is you know, central to any faith, mm. that sense, that sense of, of wanting to become closer to God, sure. which I think the ultimate would be the prophet or the manifestation of God as it's referred to in, right. in Baha'i. In many mystical faith traditions, there's a sense that one needs to either nullify or modify or eradicate or transform the ego in some sense, as the ego mm -hmm. is an impediment to reaching God. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there a similar idea in Baha'i where... Absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. very similar. The, the hardest war to, to wage is the war on self. Mm -hmm. And a lot of self-sacrifice is needed before one can even take that first step into searching truly for an answer. Um, that's what we have a, a, a commentation by the manifestation on the Sufi poem called The Su uh, Comforts of the Birds. I don't mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with from that. From Yeah, from Matar. And uh, the commentary was called The Seven Valleys, mm -hmm. which has to do with that of first is the Valley of Search, where someone has to first completely clean out their laundry and mm -hmm. make sure that they have only one goal, and one goal is to be open and be wanting mm. to to look for truth mm. um and of course the second one being that of i think if i remember correctly <laughs> love which is a painful valley mm. because it has to be with an attraction to beauty when you find that attractive you have to it's painful to tear yourself away from things that you are already in love with mm. things that you i'm a gamer <laughs> <laughs> i love playing video games but it's also time consuming. Mm -hmm. It's addicting. Mm -hmm. It takes away from a lot of things that I would be doing otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's a very hard step to just take myself away. Not to say complete abstinence, but moderation is key, right? Mm -hmm. So um, to redirect that love. To redirect that love, exactly. And once you're on this kind of path, you start to be emphatic, drunk on love, as the Sufis call, right? Mm -hmm. And. Um, there's only one thing is to throw yourself like a moth into a fire, into a flame mm. and be consumed um, by that. So Baha'is believe that in this world that we live in, in this uh, mortal material world, is that our one true purpose is to know God and to love God. Mm. Simple as that. Mm. And how we love God is by loving humanity, serving his, his kindred, serving humanity. Um, and try and deepen our understanding of what is God. Hmm. Not to say that um, that people have attained stature of closeness to God. We Baha'is believe that it's kind of unattainable. Hmm. But to excel towards some sort of perfection is is what we're striving for. Striving, right? So, so let me ask you the impossible question then. <laughs> <laughs> At least from a Baha'i perspective, oh. what what is God? 
God is a God is an unknowable being of, of essence, of but he's seen everywhere. His proofs are seen everywhere. Um, if someone argues that God doesn't exist, the best thing that you can say is heat doesn't exist without cold first. There is no heat without cold. There's no light without darkness. And in the same sense, you wouldn't understand God or know if there's a God if there wasn't a sense of feeling that there's no God. If you feel like the story of Job, that everything is hitting at you, that God doesn't exist, that all these calamities are falling upon you, well, maybe there's a reason. Maybe it's not just by chance. Maybe it is by chance. Maybe it's a test. Maybe it's something that strengthens you as an individual. And upon doing so, you are a better person. You come out stronger. You're, you can face harder challenges. Um, and that's God's sort of mercy on us. Because otherwise we wouldn't get strong. We would still be weak. I like to joke with some of the Baha'is here that why is the Baha'i Center on a mountain? Maybe it's just to strengthen the legs of the youth, you know? Put them into action physically. <laughs> How many times a day are you? Oh, every day, <laughs> every day, yeah. Yeah, I've actually, I've actually gone from uh, a cash potato to someone who can really <laughs> run up the mountain. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Since December. Yeah, well since done. December. Well done. We're going to come, I hope to come back in a year and see you like shredded. She's <laughs> like carrying people up the mountain. Right. <laughs> Let me ask a, a pointed question okay. um, in regards to God. Is God seen, and I think, I think this is a big sort of litmus test that distinguishes more, let's say, exoteric forms of religion hmm. with more esoteric, more internal, mystical forms of religion. Okay. Is God seen as other and separate than reality, our lives, the world, or is God seen as imminent, present, manifest, united in some sense with, with the world? Hmm. Sort of the transcendence, imminence debate right, in one way. Right. I would have to say the, the latter, really. Yeah. Um, Again, you can believe in God. You don't have to believe in God. But if there is a God, God probably doesn't care whether you believe or not. <laughs> God exists and God is there. Um, that coming from someone who believes in God. Um, but yeah, I... When what? you try to explain the unexplainable, yeah. the, most, the, the best thing to come to is, is a sense that something's there. The, the maker who makes a chair the chair doesn't know of the maker, but mm. the maker knows of the chair. Mm. And the chair is there to just mm. serve. What is the what is the, the imminence of God mean to, to Baha'i? The imminence of God. The presence of God, in, of God in reality. It's comforting. I think a lot of scriptures, both Baha'i and otherwise, state that when you're in times of woe, in times of strife and difficulties, that just the sheer remembrance of God can heal and cast away all your worries. That if you call to remembrance God in prayer, of course in full devotion, right? That's the most pure sense of prayer is just fully forgetting oneself and trying your hardest to, I guess, reach out and speak if you can, that um, confirmations will come. Yeah. There might be heavenly angels that come and carry you on on their shoulders you know 
they will come and assist you when you're in times of need. You have to be, of course, pure-hearted, very open-minded, and um, put in the work. Mm. The, the, phrase, the phrase that you mentioned before, that, that the Prophet is a manifestation of God, mm. How, what, is that, what is that taken to mean, that, that he's a manifestation of God? Um, that they uh, embody the... I think that every, every manifestation of God that's come for has... They manifest the qualities of God. Mm. Their manifestation of God in this earthly plane. Mm. That the, the human temple that, they resi that resides here is still very human. It's still very mortal. Um, if you were to cut them, they would still bleed. Mm. Um, they still have to eat. They still have to drink. But they have inhuman abilities. Abilities that can conquer anything that a normal human being can. These we've seen in history, in the Bible, in, in the Quran as miracles, right? So, yeah, I think that being a manifestation of God, you're manifesting the direct qualities of God. And what are those qualities that are, that are being manifested? A sovereignty that emits regardless that whether they're present in this, in this day that we live or not. You can have kings and queens that have done nothing for their people, have only thought of themselves, and yet they're forgotten in history. But if you have a king and a queen that give up on themselves, they have a sovereignty that lasts their, their generation, that lasts a, di a dynasty uh, over many millennia. Manifestations of God, Jesus is, is, has had a dynasty way, way after his death. That's the sovereignty that I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah. Is there, is there something about the, the, the average normal human, the individual, aspiring to be like the manifestation of God? Is, is, that, a, is that a possibility even? Hmm. I don't know about that. That's, in the Baha'i faith, we have several key figures in the faith. Uh, twin manifestations of God coming at the same time in history. They're never meeting each other, actually. Hmm. But the son of the latter manifestation of God, Baha'u'llah. His son was named Abdul Baha, which means servant of God, servant, really. He only wanted to be known as Abdul Baha, nothing more, nothing less. My name, my job, who I am, everything I am is Abdul Baha. And he was proclaimed by his father as being a near to perfect human being, as being someone who Baha'is and the rest of the world could aspire to be. Hmm. There's, I think in Sufism, there's, a, there's a, an analogy of a tree on a hill which you cannot pass. That to pass this hill is to attain the presence of God himself, right? Hmm. And that those who are just on that cusp or maybe before, uh, after are prophets, are manifestations of God. Um, Baha'is believe that we as human beings are striving to climb that hill. But we're never, I don't think, ever going to achieve the tree or pass that. It's on a hill, we'll see and strive all we can. Um, so in the Baha'i faith, Abdul Baha was that perfect exemplar to us. Yeah. But at least meanwhile, we can build up our calf muscles and we can exactly, we can strengthen, exactly. Those, strengthen the heart. Is, I'm curious to know, is, um, this may be a small point, but, but it's, I, think it's, I think it's maybe worth asking. 
I've seen a lot of Baha'i literature and, and also in the way you speak that God is referred to in the masculine. Is that an intentional choice of language? Is, is God somehow associated with masculinity? Because I know in other areas there's a lot of emphasis on gender equality. Mm. Mm. I believe maybe that's originated more from the time that he lived, perhaps. Um, gender equality is a massive teaching of the faith. It's integrated into a lot of parts. But in qualities of the of um, language in reference to God, maybe it's just the translations that I've been reading. Maybe it's the English translations. It always says he, but anytime it refers to God, it's referring in capital letters. Yeah. Not to say that he or she is a he or she, but God in essence is a noble. So therefore Who's the better judgment? I agree. Definitely great, not. Great. I'm assuming it does not mean that, that God has male genitalia. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Right. I, had, I, was, I was reading the... Excuse me for doing this. I was reading the Wikipedia page on Baha'i. Sure. And there was a list of, I think it was maybe 13 key elements of faith that, that had been selected from a text from Shoghi Effendi. Is that how you pronounce his Shoghi name? Shoghi Effendi, yeah. Um, and I, some of them made very good sense to me and some of them seemed very bizarre. I was wondering if I could read those 12 and... and sure, and I'll do my best. Me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. These following principles are frequently listed as quick summary of Baha'i teachings. They're derived from transcripts of speeches given by Abdul Baha, mm. which is the son of Bahuala, during his tour of Europe and North America in 1912. The list is not authoritative, and a variety of such lists circulate. Mm. So you can tell me if you think this list is bogus. <laughs> so the first one is unity of God, okay. um, which which is an easy one to understand. Yeah. Maybe let's maybe let me ask you what what. What does that mean in, in on one foot? You need God in. If if Muhammad came and said, "There's one God, and His messenger is Muhammad," it must have been the same God same that Jesus guy. was talking about. It must have been the same God that Krishna was talking about. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I mean, like a lightning round here. That was very good. <laughs> Unity of religion. Unity of religion. That we're speaking the same topics. We're trying to learn the same themes. But we're just speaking different languages. Hmm. That's it. Hmm. We, we, we come from different planes of time in history. Hmm. But the tenets themselves are so interconnected and hmm. so similar hmm. that we just need to come together. And once we have a better understanding of each other and what those tenets are, we realize we're on the same page. I'm, I'm with it. <laughs> I'm with it. <laughs> well, we're all about that. Unity of humanity. Unity of humanity. Our DNA is closest, is like, 99.9% close to a banana. So if if someone from one part of the world is black and one person's white and one person's Asian and one person's Eskimo, I don't know. You're all human. Yeah. You're, there's no no difference in... Um, I believe that the human is born noble. Hmm. When you're born That's as a baby, beautiful. you're born noble. Wow. You're on, the only tarnish that comes is from... Living here amongst crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> I love the line that the human is born noble. That's yeah. really beautiful. Do bananas have a special place in the Baha'i faith? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, is, this is something we mentioned before, equality betwe between men and women. Mm. Let me ask you, instead of speaking theoretically about it as we have been, tell me practically the first example that comes to mind of, of equality. If, uh, if uh, parents were to put a child into school, the emphasis should be put on the daughter, not the, not the son. Doesn't sound like equality to me. Well, this is why, because 
the mother is the first um, educator of the child. It's always been so that the son is always put into school first. Mm. This is where the evolution comes into play, mm. is that if we're trying to better humanity on an evolutionary point, education of the children has to be one of the first places mm. to start. Mm. And to change that, you have to emphasize on the social structure. So though it may seem that there's a lot of emphasis with the women, it's actually just balancing out what yes. many, yes, many yes, years yes. of kind of history has yeah. done. I was joking when I said this. No, <laughs> it doesn't that's, seem. that's fine. Uh, that's, that seems really radical. I mean, mm -hmm. to, to place a premium on women's education before even you know, a, a, child, a male child's education seems like sure. a radical move. Sure. And I'm sure, I'm sure as well it had a lot of resistance. <laughs> of course. Yeah, at the time, sure. Elimination of all forms of prejudice, that's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. I think yeah. anyone could get behind We're that We're living one. in history right now with, with that conversation being at yes, the forefront. Yes, yeah. yes. Is there, is there an active voice, an active Baha'i voice in, in the contemporary discussion of racism? I and, think so, yeah. The Baha'is are, are, are trying to actively engage in um, social action, hmm. whether that is elevating conversation, interfaith dialogues, um, being a contributor in the social discussion uh, when it comes to that. You, you have to bring religion into it, not religion itself, but the, the concepts of spirituality, yeah. because the, at its core, these illnesses that, we're, that humanity is going through are on a spiritual level rather than just a social level. The social level is a consequence mm. thereafter. Mm. Nice, that's very cool. I mean, I think even the fact that we're sitting here, me and you, yeah. I'm a Hasidic Jew from Sydney, Australia, you're Baha'i, from Texas. us in Texas yeah, yeah. and being able to like connect so so yeah. so smoothly, I think this itself is like very Baha'i in, in Baha'i-esque. <laughs> um, world peace. Oh, okay. The, the next couple ones, I think uh, they get more fascinating as they go along. Okay. Um, so far, these all seems like general, like well-accepted tenants. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like a thumbs up to, to Wikipedia. They did good. <laughs> world peace and a new world order. What does that mean? World peace and new world order. Is that a phrase that's used in behind a new world order? There's, there's somewhere written that the, the old world order as we know it will be rolled up as a, like a rug, hmm. and a new one will be spread out hmm. in its way. Hmm. Um, I don't. I'm definitely sure we're not there yet. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure what it's referring to is a golden age of humanity, uh -huh. where it's like a maturing aspect of putting away our differences and trying to come together at a table of consultation rather than at a table of competition. Mm. How we get there, inshallah, we shall see, but it's going to be harder before it gets better. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Do, you, do you have any sense of where we are in that process? Are we... No, not <laughs> no, at all. No sense. Not at all. Um, since the inception of the faith to its, its leading figures, to the um, Universe House of Justice, which is now the governing body of the Baha'is around the world. Um, there's a, a many, a myriad of projects and just advances that need to be undertaken both within the Baha'i community and outside. Hmm. Things have to sort of align on a spiritual level as well as a material level, as well as a social level for there to be peace on earth, hmm. right? Yeah. Every religion yeah. is striving towards peace on earth. Yeah. But history shows that when people do things in the name of God, it kind of hurts more than it does good. Yeah. So 
Baha'is will undertake a grassroots effort mm. of building communities, mm. strengthening communities, mm. whether that is on a, a devotional level, on a social level, on an economical level. Um, they'll do their part for sure. And I'm pretty sure everyone else will do their part as well. Yeah. I like that approach of, of trying to change things really from the bottom up instead of trying to mm. come in top down because it, that, that just hasn't worked so well historically. No. People usually are afraid to lose their influence or their power. Mm. And perhaps in the future, people will just willingly give up their power mm. because they see the better horizon at the end. You know, I don't know. <laughs> that was a, maybe hopefully. I botched that one. That was no, no, no. I mean, it no. I think, I think, I think that touches on the key issue where, yeah. like, the solution is a pretty simple one. Like, if we yeah. put the concerns of each other before our own concerns yeah. and before our own ego and pride, then, then the the path to world peace is, is pretty is not yes. so not so difficult. Yeah. And unfortunately, but like, if people will be willing to make that transition, which is why it's really an internal work, it's a spiritual work, right? Um, the harmony of religion and science. That's an interesting one. Harmony what? Harmony of religion and science. Religion and science. Oh, harmony of religion and science. Oh, this is a fun one. Because I mean, many many religions will yeah. have a fundamentalist view towards science and will just sure. reject it. Sure. How does that work in, in the Baha'i faith? Well, if we're talking about um, equality of humanity mm -hmm. and that science has sort of proven that fact with a banana, you can sort of see where I'm going with this, right? Mm -hmm. um, the more we, with science, we, hmm. harmony in science doesn't mean that they agree. Mm -hmm. Harmony means that they work together. Mm. One may translate the world of material on a very materialistic way, right? The other one is more of a philosophic way, an invisible way. But when you have faith in something, the other might appear. So Einstein had a sense of faith mm -hmm. from growing up. And he, he was motivated by that faith. And look where that took him. Mm. The amount of science that was germinated from that mm. revolutionized the way we think and the, and the way we do things. Um, I think they're still even discovering new atoms today. Mm. And that only comes with a, a sense of faith that it exists out there somewhere. Mm. If you just anal analyze what you have, you have almost pure fanaticism. Mm. If you have, or just pure materialism. If you have just religion without science, you might just have pure fanaticism. I think that's, I think I love that. I love the way you phrased it, that harmony does not mean that they always agree with one another, but that they right. can work together for, for a greater goal. Exactly. That's really, really beautiful. Inshallah. Inshallah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is, this one we've, we've discussed already, the, the independent investigation of truth. Yes. Which I think, which I think as well sets the Baha'i faith, you know, separate from other faiths mm. where, where usually the emphasis on independent investigation of truth is not a value. Even, I, don't know, I don't know if it's even encouraged as much in certain mm. religious traditions. Mm. Um, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question before we get to this. Do you know Rain Wilson? The, yeah, you, personally, yeah. yeah. Do you have his, can we get his mobile number? No, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Rain actually um, is someone who really turned me on to Baha'i. Hey, okay. And I've listened to him do interviews talking about his faith. On YouTube, yeah. Um, on YouTube and his work that he does through... Um, Soul Pancake? Soul Pancake, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and the way that he's always spoke about religion, about God, always seemed so um, beautiful and, and just in line with a lot of mm. my own thinking. Yeah, um, yeah so he's, he's doing a great job. So when you speak to Rain next, <laughs> tell him that he's doing a great job. Being sure, able, I will, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I love your, like calmness and your like 
you have a really nice way of, of like speaking and presenting. Thank you. Thank you. you must you must have like had some time like being a sp like a storyteller or a film. Uh, just practice. I guess. Yeah. That's 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 what it goes hand in hand with deepening. Like you you learn, you connect, you can reiterate better. Hmm. You know, you can actually delve into the topics themselves. You you're not just sort of like just rehashing or repeating exactly you're actually able to um, i'm trying to connect the dots as best as possible yeah. do you do you um slash are you encouraged to go and study secular philosophy the which one secular philosophy like yeah philosophy. yeah i went uh i don't know if it's encouraged per se but i definitely think it should be just like if you're if you wanted to know why a lot of secular people come with these sort of questions how do you communicate how do you bridge the gap rather than trying to throw a rock yes. and hoping that yeah. they catch it you know yes. <laughs> great analogy that's really great i feel like a lot of religion unfortunately is doing that. um so the next thing on the list is universal compulsory education what does that mean in baha'i compulsory education um the world needs a diversity of professions, skill sets. Uh, not everyone can be a bricklayer. Not everyone can be a microchip maker. Um, and uh, compulsory education allows you to sort of see the way the world works from an outside perspective and put it all in the palm of your hand and be able to analyze it, digest it, and make decisions for yourself. You're not influenced by someone else's opinion. You can think for yourself. If um, someone told you that, in a crazy sense, Middle East, go kill yourself. You'll go to heaven. You'll go kill other people. You'll also go to heaven. But you think of how the world actually works after being educated in the way there's goodness in people. There's righteousness in, in a bunch of people. Are you going to think for yourself or let someone else dictate how mm. you think? Mm. Are you going to live for yourself mm. or live by someone else's me? Mm. Where does your story, the moment you start doing what someone else is telling you to do, your story is ended. Mm. You're living someone else's story. I'm really curious on that point and, and also on the, I could have asked this on the previous point as well. The What's the retention rate within the Baha'i community? Of, yeah, in terms of people that are born into the faith, staying in the faith, with such a strong emphasis on... I have on, no idea. I have no idea. What, amongst your own friends, how many of them have stayed behind? How many of them have left? Most of them are behind still, hmm. yeah. Um, again, I think if youth are left to their own devices, as I definitely have seen, they get enthralled with materialism. They get enthralled with the social standard that is being sold to them. Hmm. And they get lost in it. Hmm. And their lives tend to plummet from there. Hmm. Um, those who have stayed in the faith not everyone has deepened themselves as much as others but they're, they're still living decent lives and, and living I know people who, who say yeah I'm a Baha'i but they don't attend Baha'i gatherings they mm. don't go anywhere mm. that's fine can one be a Baha'i culturally just like loosely like that without actually practicing can you call yourself a Baha'i and still not live to a standard that you're called to yeah. enact yeah <laughs> I, guess, I, don't, I don't know it, just, it doesn't make sense I think if you if you called yourself a Baha'i it means something it means something yeah. it means you believe in this and 
you'll do your best to uphold that standard. Yeah. You're yeah. trying to better yourself and better the standard around you and, yeah. and help everyone else up. That's, that's, that's really nice. Um, there's three more here in the list. We're right at the bottom. Obedience to government and non-involvement in partisan politics. Um, yeah, Baha'is, this might go into too detail. I don't know if you really want to include this, um, but I, I'll share that Baha'is are encouraged not to run for, pol uh, for government for office, office um, because a lot of pol uh, partisan politics today is contention and fighting yeah, it's just divisive. is divisive. Yeah. And if that makes its way into even the Baha'i community, mm. it'll do its damage. Yeah. And yeah. we're trying to not have that, yeah. obviously. Um, so, yeah. Is there a way to be involved in politics that's non-partisan? Non yeah. Every, every Baha'i is, is asked to be uh, a servant to their, to their country, to uphold the, the rules. And, um, voting is a... Um, what did they say? Voting is a... Uh, voting is not a right. It's voting is not a right. It's a privilege, hmm. and it's a duty hmm. to do that because it's it's a democratic process, right? And it's the people's. I mean, that's politics, right? It's the people's word, yeah, working its way up the ladder yeah, yeah. to then have its influence over the rest. The Baha'is told how to vote, or or is it each each person on their own? I mean, it's, I think it's up to each person on, this, on their own. But of course, they should do their own investigation of truth yes. of who they're voting for yes. and not just follow, obviously, just Massively. the loudest person yeah. in the yeah. room. Yeah. So th this next one's a, a real no-brainer. I think prohibition of slavery, which I think we can all get behind. Although I'm sure when this was originally formulated, it was, it was radical at the time. Of course. Um, and the, this next one is, is interesting. Um, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it is the elimination of the extremes of wealth and poverty. Hmm. What does that mean for, for Baha'i? Because that's, that's, that seems like quite a, a, a strong statement. It is a very strong statement. Um, I'm still not familiar with the whole economic, financial world myself, but um, the extremes of wealth and poverty that we're seeing are daunting beyond belief. If one person's loss is another person's gain, but if they gain and do not distribute that wealth and do not share that wealth, then these two standards remain the same. Yeah. And it's not uplifting to the entire community. One person in a neighborhood has a castle and the rest are in huts, right? We see these divides, these borders happening all around the world. Um, pretty sure it's like in, in India somewhere. We have a, a railroad going down the middle and on one side you have shanty town, on the other side you have suburban neighborhood. This is an, an extreme wealth and poverty. Yeah. Um, of course, we can't be super radical and just cause a riot and throw the entire way the world is under the rug in a fortnight. So you're not absolute, Yeah, no, we're not anarchists. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, and that goes in tandem with rolling out a new world order. We're not gonna, you know, destroy the way the world is. Uh, it has to it has to naturally and organically evolve. Hmm. It's going to take time. But there's a deep recognition that the way the world is 
it's broken. It's broken, and then it's needs to be done work done by us to fix it. Yes, it's a very beautiful and, and also a very Jewish idea. Mm. The idea of um, that we live in a fractured reality, and it's our work to to repair the world. Ah. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of a lot of commonality. I want to I want to maybe end with one final question because you've been sure. so generous with your time, and I really really appreciate it. Which is again a personal question. Sure. I'm curious to know and. If you don't want to, if you if you'd rather remain silent on this, I would fully understand. I'm very curious to know about people's the spiritual experiences of people in different faith traditions, mm. both in how they are similar to people in other faith traditions that they would have never met and never spoken with, okay. but in their deepest, most intimate religious experiences, the deep commonality, oh. and also the flavors of difference within that. So, if you if you'd be willing to share your own experience or reflection on experience with other faith traditions, yeah, okay. Um, again, I still think we're, this is a very young, this is a, humanity is going through a teenage change. So it's very rebellious. Explain, I've heard that, I heard that said before as well. Explain what you mean by that. There's there's sort of this view of humanity as a human. Yeah, I mean, the world is so interconnected right now with technology, Mm -hmm. the way that we have the internet, you can call someone on the other side of the planet. These are physical, geographical borders that were boundaries, walls. They're just abolished. And gone like that. Yeah. Um, so we're having a, a hot pot of all of these different flavors of, of ideas, commonalities, uh, opinions. And a lot of it is clashing. But that's also based on we were so isolated before. So we're fighting that past that was so isolated where we had still tribes but on a much bigger scale right Mm -hmm. so you had nations who colonized the world in their own image and by doing so they harmed history in the making Mm -hmm. they segregated people enslaved people and those cities now being freed are now still segregated and suffering based on that infrastructure and that uh, development. If the people themselves were to develop naturally from their own accord, the unity of the people might have been better. The access to its own wealth could have been better managed and handled. Um, Likewise, when we're talking about trying to deepen our connection and understanding of faith and what does it mean to be with God, God came with messengers from different places of the world. In Asia, you had Buddha and Krishna. In the Middle East, you had the Bab, Muhammad, Baha'u'llah. Jesus was a little bit more north. I'm pretty sure nobody was in the U.S., though a lot of Native Americans have a lot of spirituality connection to a lot of other religions. Um, But the sense that the fighting, yeah, so the fight, going back to that topic of fighting this teenager sense, we're fighting a past. We're fighting that a kid doesn't want to grow up. The kid wants to stay a kid and doesn't want to mature towards actually, if we want world peace, we have to mature in certain aspects of our life. I really love this analogy of, of humanity as a whole, mm. as one human life that's progressing, mm. right? Where, where you have sort of childhood moments moving through and now, now you say that within the Baha'i perspective, 
if you had to sum up the the, the Baha'i faith in one word, mm-hmm. I think they used to use this all the time back in like the 80s, 90s. It would be unity, unity of humanity, bringing everyone. I think um, in in Jewish traditions, the Tanakh is the not the Tanakh, the um, a place where God is mentioned. Um, what is the word for that? The Mishkan. Mishkan. The Tabernacle. Tabernacle. That. Humanity and religion is trying to bring all of humanity under one tabernacle. Mm. And that's what the Baha'is are striving for mm. as well. That's really cool. Because when we were down by the Baha'i Gardens earlier, I was talking to some of the Baha'i young girls that were there um, in service as well. Uh-huh. And when I mentioned the name of our project, the channel, they got very excited because the project is Seekers of Unity. Yeah. And they like right away, like, oh, yeah. you nailed it. <laughs> you got it. Um, so that's that's very cool. And, and yeah, that's... that. I'm curious to know, do you, in your own spiritual practice, in your own practice of prayer or meditation, is there, I'm curious to know firstly what that looks like in a, in, in a formal sense, like what does it look like externally? Mm. And if you can share, what state does that bring you to internally? Um, so in the, in the religion of the Baha'is, there's no clergy to begin with. There's also no rituals. Um, no clergy, no rituals. No rituals, wow. no clergy. Wow. Um, so again, we like to joke around that saying that uh, the religion is very hard because it's on an individual basis. Are there, are there festivals? Are there yeah, calendar of course. events? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, we, prayer, for example, um, in the concealment of your own room where you calling to mind, reflecting on your day, reflecting on your life, and then praying wholeheartedly on bettering yourself and for the guidance of others, I think that's the highest form of prayer that you can mm. really do. Um, to then have, excuse me, to then have a devotional atmosphere where in the sense of a congregation, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of Baha'is in the same room. Mm-hmm. At the same mind, you want everyone to have that same sort of feeling. The atmosphere should be one of joy, mm. of thoughtfulness mm. of reverence mm. um and yeah is is there in terms of just the the form of it is there a liturgy is there hymns is it silent prayer is it what does it look like i think in in the way culturally it's developed is perhaps just reading some writings mm-hmm. from the some of the texts mm-hmm. uh which can be from anywhere in the my faith really so it could be a from the seven valleys as a commentating uh, it could be uh hidden words from baha'u'llah it could be gleanings it could be from the talks of abdu'l-baha in paris mm-hmm. uh, it could be from a talk that shogi fendi once gave um or the bomb uh, a prayer that maybe he re- he reveals as they used to call them tablets right mm. um followed by maybe some music followed by some refreshments afterwards yes very simple do people just come for the refreshment sometimes? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 100%. Those are like the Jewish Baha'is. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> there's, there's one Baha'i book, which I love the title. It's called Breakers of the Dawn or Dawn Breakers? Dawn Breakers. What a great title. Yeah. What a yeah. great title. Written at the time and during the lifetime of Baha'u'llah. Um, as a, we refer to it as the heroic era of the Baha'i faith. Mm. Because a lot of martyrdoms happened during mm. that time. But the story itself is of epic proportion, 
And there's so many historic events of Baha'i faith that happened during that time. Um, of course, you can find translations in more simpler novelistic terms, uh, better, easier reads. You don't have to deal with the very hard, long Arabic names. <laughs> they are tough. They're tough. In your, in your, in your experience of prayer, sure. has it brought you to an experience of prayer? Has there, has there been, or, or what has been sort of the, the, the internal, if you can describe, it's very hard to put words to these things, but some sort of internal religious experience or, yeah. In the Bible, there are three obligatory prayers that we're asked to try and strive for to read during our days. Nice. We, we got three as well. Of course. Yeah. So we have a short obligatory prayer, which can be read uh, at noon. Mm -hmm. We have a long obligatory prayer that can be read uh, once in 24 hours, mm -hmm. whenever you feel like it. And we have a middle length obligatory prayer, which I, th I believe... Uh, should be read three times a day. Hmm. I believe. I like the flexibility do of this. It, I like that you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually done the long obligatory prayer maybe thrice, like three times. Ever? Ever. I'm going to have to chat with your superiors after this. <laughs> um, and, and in any language you can do it? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think it's translated mostly in different languages. And um, the prayers themselves are basically calling to mind that we are um, trying our hardest to recognize God mm. and are humbling ourselves in submission to the greatness of God mm -hmm. that everything around us is uh, a sign and therefore we are in awe of its superiority and we'll call to being I can show you it afterwards if you'd like yeah, yeah. I would I'd love to see that sure. I don't know why this came to my head but a bit for a bit of levity is there anything as a Baha'i that you can't do that you would really love to do Mm. Like I'd love to get a tattoo, but in Judaism it's just not a thing. <laughs> so remember social laws. Yes. I'm pretty sure like shaving of the head uh -huh. was a social law that is like only for certain places of the world. And I think it is still. Um, though I think in America, I know several Baha'is were bald. And hmm. uh, whether or not they shaved their head, I don't really remember, but I'm pretty sure they did. Oh. So I don't think, I don't think it was law breaking in that sense. But, again, knowing and understanding that the human temple is something to be, um, to take care of, to embellish and, and, and all that, you, you be careful what you do, really. I, I don't know how else to really explain it. You're telling me that you'd love to be bald if you could, is that what you're saying? I haven't cut my hair in five, six months of quarantine, <laughs> so it's the longest I've had it without a haircut for a long time. It's looking very good. Thank you, thank you. Um, no sleep, no, no drinking, no smoking, no things that I don't really care mm -hmm. about. What about, let me ask you, what about, um, for, for, for men, women, and women, men before marriage, is that a possibility or is that off the charts? Off Adultery. The no. No, like premarital relationships. Premarital. That I think is, I think that's a no-no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that's a no-no. I think a lot of religions actually say that's a no-no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and marriage within, within Baha'i, you don't only have uh, to marry Baha'is, you can marry anyone, is that correct? Yes, it's, but it, it just becomes more difficult, of course. Mm. Especially the Baha'is being very young and most people just not have heard, hearing yeah, of it, yeah. you know? So it becomes a complication in relationships. To find someone who is Baha'i, you're saying? To find someone who's not a Baha'i. It becomes difficult to find someone who's not Baha'i? Right. Well, no. 
to to to, to make to build a relationship. To build a relationship, yeah. Right. Because religion is a big aspect in both uh, both partners' lives, and you're not just marrying the individual; you're marrying the family. Yeah, yeah. And all that comes with it. So you see yourself marrying a Baha'i. I, I think at this point in time, I do see myself marrying a Baha'i. Though I've I've been infatuated with many non-Baha'is as well. Mm. So. Has that been hard for you? No, not really. No. I think it's just a. Uh, it's just hard at this point. I know a lot of people who have married non-Baha'is and they're doing fine. Mm. They're absolutely doing mm. fine. Well, we know some very nice Baha'i girls from today. We're going to we'll see if we can make any... Cool. We call it a shidduch in, in the Hasidic shidduch. world. Where it's like you blind date people. Oh, blind date yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And then they're married like two days later. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, this is, this is the, the very final question. Thank you so, so much for your sure. absolute generosity of time and spirit. It's been really a real pleasure, pleasure talking pleasure. and getting to know you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we've been friends for a long time. We really just yeah, met today. <laughs> no one on the camera is going to believe it. The, the Seekers of Unity audience, which is an international audience, as the, as the internet is today, yeah. is really, it's everyone. There's, there's atheists and, and agnostics and Jews and Muslims and Christians and Hindus and Buddhists and, and probably more things than I can identify. You, coming from a faith which has so much space and inclusivity for so many traditions and really believes this unity of religions, what is the one message you would give to all of those people that are potentially listening to, to this conversation as a final, as a final message? <laughs> so much pressure, wow. Um, I, I can only reference a quote that comes to mind. Strive that your actions may day by day be made into beautiful prayers. Mm. Work is worship, ultimately. Um, everyone is on a path searching for the truth. And it doesn't matter which route up the mountain you, you take. So keep doing what you do. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you so Can much. Can I give you a hug? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was honestly so fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Pleasure meeting you guys. Enjoy your stay in Haifa. Thank you. Thank you so, so, so much for your time. And keep in touch. I, I love this stuff. Yes. Do you ever want to like work in joint? Because I do a lot of editing and filmmaking and stuff like Oh, that would be so cool. Work in tandem. Yeah. yeah, I would actually love to send you like a draft of the work and, and get your please, ideas on it. Please, I would, I would love that. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Take care.